Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist, podcaster and congested individual. I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst and I'm a writer, I'm a director and I'm the auteur behind James Swanton's Frankenstein's Creature. So I'm excited to discuss my choice for this fortnight, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And I promise not to spend the whole time... Talking about Frankenstein's creature, Dan, I got it out of the way up front so we can move on and discuss this fascinating film. How do you feel, Dan? Do you want to hear one of many tiny little facts about this movie? I'm going to just drop in oh. throughout the uh, throughout the podcast. Yes, please. I'd never seen it before. Whoa, that is that yeah. changes everything. Yeah. Okay, does it change everything or does it change a couple of things? Well, it kind of <laughs> changes everything in a way because I totally assumed that... Because this is one that I have seen many times. This was like a video shop regular for me in the kind of mid-90s because I love Frankenstein. I absolutely was obsessed with Robert De Niro when I was uh, growing up, when I was a teenager. Just obsessed. I would watch stuff like, you know, Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, Mean Streets, like over and over again. And this was (laughs) not to the top of the list of my favourite Robert De Niro movies. But there was something about it that I did quite like. But this is my first time watching it since that period. And so it was quite a weird experience, especially coming off the back of, you know, making a a, a Frankenstein movie. And there's a shot in, in this film that I think I was subconsciously influenced by in Frankenstein's Creature, believe it or not. First time watch, Dan, how did you feel? It takes itself very seriously, doesn't it? does and that's kind of what i like about it Um. well it's totally melodramatic and as i've alluded to before you know branner spends a lot of time with his top off and you know he's a very handsome very handsome man yeah he is it's it's kind of all part of this kind of grandiose approach and yeah i just i just love the fact that this classic horror novel like the original horror novel was given this epic costume drama treatment normally horror is the ugly stepchild in the basement or you know the monster in the attic or whatever it's like it doesn't have respect is what i'm trying to say in possibly an offensive way there's nothing wrong with ugly stepchildren you're all loved here uh, at the arrow video podcast anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah the point is it's just given this lush glorious over-the-top treatment that is normally reserved for costume dramas, you know, Age of Innocence or well, whatever. It, I mean, it, it is in, you know, it is a costume yeah, drama. Yeah, exactly. At heart. So, so it it kind of fits, and and obviously it's off the back of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. And the success there. So I can kind of see what they were going for. I will admit that I, you know, as much as I love it nowadays, I uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula left me a little cold when I watched it, at the, the age that I was when I came out. And I, I think I just didn't like polished horror. Right. I didn't like horror having this much money spent on it. Right. And, and one of the things that really stuck with me, because, so I've I've known about this film. I mean, you know, obviously everyone knows about it, but but I've like, it's, it's occupied a space in my head really as just for its effects work, because there are various like elements of its effects that are discussed in the industry. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention some of those later. So I was going in to watch it going, okay, come on, let's, let's do it. Let's sit down and, and, and finally watch this film, which I judged dramatically very, you know, very early on Mm -mm. and decided not to bother with for all these years. 
and and the one thing that really stuck with me and, and there's a lot to like in it it's very beautifully shot the sets are incredible the costumes are great it's quite silly but it wasn't nearly gory enough right yeah it really felt like it was pulling its punches and and that with all of the despite the beautiful cinematography and the, and, and everything else being lush it felt much closer to the the sort of the Shakespeare stuff that Branagh was doing before. Oh, this, for sure. Time. And there's something kind of Dickensian about it as well. For. Like yeah. I always felt like De Niro, his creature. There's something of the kind of Dickensian thug about him. Well, doesn't he? Doesn't he play the chap in the graveyard in Great Expectations? He does, and that's kind of yeah. yeah. That's what it's aligned with in my head. I think. I mean, I prefer yeah. David Lean's Great Expectations, obviously, but uh, yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like I've, I'm just like my, I'm looking at my notes here. My first note is awesome horror focus pull to the red hand in ice, which when it does that rack. Yeah. To the creature's hand coming out of the coming out of the frozen water, yeah. and I was like, "Okay, we're going to do it like a proper horror movie." And I think that's the last horror shot in the film. I don't know. There's a couple like I love the the monkey's paw sequence, which is obviously very on the nose, but but fun. That is that's a horror yeah. sequence for sure. But yeah, well, no, I hear what you're saying on a big wooden brace. Yeah, that made it look like it could potentially be someone's hand coming up through a set. If you're going to spend that much money on an animatronic hand. Why not have it on a wire? Yeah. Or like hanging. Yeah, true, true. But yeah, I, I just, <laughs> there's something about it. Like it's this mixture of costume drama, which are kind of traditionally a little bit stuffy with this kind of very dynamic shooting style. The the spinning camera is kind of almost constant and it kind of cuts down the edits because like you see all the characters in the scene in a, a kind of unique way and makes it feel closer to theatre which obviously Bran is more comfortable with. And there is a risk of motion sickness at times. Like I glanced away from the screen to make some <laughs> notes and it was in the corner of my eye. I was like Jesus Christ. But it gives it an energy and it gives it something that it's like a clash between kind of two worlds like this costume drama with the melodrama and this wild camera that's kind of roving everywhere i I think it's really interesting it doesn't completely work i i totally get where you're coming from but i i enjoyed it i enjoyed it watching it again as a as an adult there were moments that had me actually howling with laughter yeah no i'm sure i think it's probably relatively okay to be quite spoilery with this one given the age of the source text and its accuracy you know it's pretty yeah, close absolutely um, yeah yeah as they went to great points to uh, to say in the audio commentary, it's it's possibly the most accurate or the most faithful adaptation ever well, committed to screen. They... Which I could see you fucking squirming at. <laughs> <laughs> These guys had not seen my movie, but yeah. Which is, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that, that's a shame. I will say, and uh, you know, you said you don't want to harp on about Frankenstein's creature. I'll do a little bit of it for you. I think it's better than this. Oh, thank you very much, Dan. And I think that James Swanton's better than De Niro. Yes. Well, that's the thing, actually. Watching some of the extras and hearing them describe, you know, what they wanted the creature to be. Like, there's a moment where uh, I can't remember who it was actually, but someone says that he he felt too old. De Niro, the, both the the, yeah. the actor and the, the character, the creature felt too old. He should be more innocent. And I think that James, and, and I'm allowed to say this because this is giving compliments to James. James has just this incredible combination of childlike innocence and age and wisdom and experience. And I think that's the character 
Like it, it's someone yeah. who is unlike it has this otherness that's unlike a human that does have this combination of they've just been born but they're extraordinarily intelligent as well and yeah. and De Niro doesn't capture that at all whereas James Yeah I mean they, they 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 try and cover it by making him you know a little relatively erudite I liked that the the scars healed in relatively good time. Like, yeah. like as in they they had several different versions of the prosthetics that they worked through. Yeah. But why in all of these depictions is Doctor Frankenstein so shit at surgery? <laughs> like, why does why does the creature always feel so bodged together? Because he's supposed to be monstrous, Dan. He's supposed to. He's a monster. He's got to look. He's got to look crap. Got to look nasty. But you, sh- you should want to look away when you look at him. I get that that like that's important for the narrative, but I just like I feel there's a better way of making that happen. I mean, for God's sake, if you're gonna have a, <laughs> if you're gonna have Frankenstein, absolutely chuckle brothers it up and drop an anvil on the head of the creature. <laughs> like, <laughs> Twenty five seconds after birthing him, after they've had their like jellied jellied eel wrestling match, yeah. in amniotic fluid. Then he crucifies him on chains and bashes him in the head with with an anvil. That could just pull his face off. There's no need for all the gaping scars to be quite so cartoonish. Look, man, people have criticised Kenneth Branagh for being, like, po-faced and overly serious. And he's thrown in two of the most funny slapstick moments in cinema history into his Frankenstein movie. You should uh, should be grateful. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I can say a, a thank you 4K because I haven't <laughs> seen it before. But when you were watching this yeah. on VHS in your childhood, yeah. at 35 minutes, <laughs> yeah. was 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 the creature's penis quite that visible? Well, actually, it's hard to say because after a while, like my tape, it just went really fuzzy at that moment. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I can tell you. no. And it is a really nice transfer. I love that the grain. You can see so much grain. It's one of the things I, I kind of love most about 4K. It's kind of like halfway between blu-ray and vhs in a weird kind of way in that it's super clear but you can still see the grain i love it well it's the closest to celluloid it's more exactly you know we've we've sort of got past the gotta clean it up gotta clean it up days of thank god uh, of that awful re-release of the french connection yeah and you know dare i say it that first arrow blu-ray of um bird with crystal plumage digital noise reduction seems to have you know thank christ fallen out of favor and and now we're seeing these movies very very high res mm. and with actual damage yeah. removed, but with the cinematic grain and the artifacting of an old analog medium preserved, mm. yeah. and that's gorgeous. Yeah, it really. And actually, is. that's one of the things I'll say about this. It could have been a movie that I stuck on and it was drenched with shitty early CGI, mm-hmm. and it's it's got really beautiful practical backdrops, huge painted awnings, big like like false perspective sets. Um, oh, yeah. And then the optical effects that it's got, some of which may be digital, I don't know. Like the little crackles of lightning and, and stuff around the eels and on the fingertips on that yeah. date on the mountaintop at the beginning. Yeah. They're really nicely done. Like they are. They, weirdly, are the only subtle thing. Got a good burn as well, hasn't it? Oh, oh my goodness, it's got a good burn. Really, really, really um, impressive. Yeah, I mean, like, just from a technical standpoint, I really would be very interested to see, like, to, to, to be told, like, to get some insight into how they did that because it's such an enclosed space and there's mm. so much fuel on set yeah like everything is is coated in accelerant yeah so that is and there's only two points of access one of which is on fire yes so to to be able to put them out like it, the trade-off is 
that the character who's on fire looks like the Mechelen man <laughs> because <laughs> they are wearing a lot of fire protective gear. Yeah, but, you know, come on. Don't uh, take that away from them, yeah. Dan. You'll kill them. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, I'd much rather it with that. Yeah. Like, than... This is a white fire. Awful... Oh, yeah, what, where they accidentally, set, like, just genuinely set people on fire? Exactly. <laughs> um, um, but, do you want to but... hear another another fact i do yeah the franken fact Mm -hmm. and i I say fact this comes with a heavy caveat because i've I've never been told this by anyone involved in the story so as far as i'm as far as all of you are concerned out there in in podcast land this has to be considered an unsubstantiated rumor but i choose to believe it when i was uh, a long time ago i was at pinewood on a job and i was talking to people over animated extras who had who did the effects for for this movie and one of the owners of the company is uh, a sculptor and special effects artist by the name of pauline fowler mm-hmm. not that pauline fowler for our english listeners and she uh, um, among many other tasks i'm sure on this job i am told she was responsible for sculpting the creature's penis oh so the the dick that we get to see flapping about in that hilarious jelly wrestling scene mm-hmm. with Bobby and Ken mm-hmm. is a prosthetic that was made of several penises stitched together. Wow. So it had stitches around it. And apparently De Niro came into the, the studio and saw Pauline there with like a photo of of Robert and then like a bunch of pictures of dicks. And and while he signed off on the prosthetic, he wouldn't be around her. He was he was like, Nope, not gonna not gonna do that. Wow. Not be around her. She can't she can't interact with me now because that's weird. Well, he's a method actor. Maybe he was going into the Frankenstein's creature zone and yeah, maybe Frankenstein's creature didn't want to think about the fact that Dr. Frankenstein decided to stitch five cocks together so that he had a a, a monster <laughs> mega cock. Um, an uber penis yeah well that's you know. it when I, that was that being one of the things that i knew going into this i was waiting to see if we'd see the penis because right. i was told it wasn't visible in the finished film you know back in the day yeah yeah which is why i asked you but the when branner gives his little speech to john cleese about like w- what his plan is and he's like we can build a creature better than man stronger more intelligent and my brain's just like with a like with like five dicks end to end (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i absolutely knew when i put this on that i was going to see cock because all those thank you blu-ray moments that we've done in the past like we've seen a lot they're all genitals they're all genitals yeah they're all genitals so um good good for everyone involved well done let's quickly talk a little bit about the extras there's some really cool stuff on here there's the a 2k restoration of the 1910 short film frankenstein a liberal adaptation from mrs shelley's famous story for edison production which is a very catchy title but um, a liberal yeah. adaptation so yeah that's kind of an amazing amazing extra good on arrow it's from the library of congress i don't think i've seen it before i've seen stills i'm a big uh, big fan of the creature being played i think by milton jones <laughs> <laughs> yeah without um, any makeup yeah whatsoever it's <laughs> with impressive. no makeup and his own costume <laughs> yeah and what an ending i also enjoyed dissecting mary shelley's frankenstein which kind of talks about the differences between the novel and, and the adaptation and yeah there's no it's not too many differences in fact they they talk mostly about the similarities to be honest but great talking heads you know i love jonathan rigby and stephen volk so um 
yeah, yeah. They're, they're fantastic and and always interesting to listen to it's got a very good very good commentary yeah excellent and did you watch they, uh, the um the interview with the makeup artist no i didn't i didn't get through everything and i had scanned to see if there was a, a, a an effects making of and i didn't see one but but i'll uh, i'll have to dig where's that in What's it's that just in? in the interview section ah okay yeah and and you talked a little bit about the makeup you talked about like him being a rubbish surgeon uh was that thought process and influence on your approach to james swanton's makeup on frankenstein's creature sorry to bring it up again but um no no, no we no, obviously went um, we went in a very different direction for the creature I we mean, did well so yeah what i what i should do at this point is talk about how much of that was sort of interpreted and done by uh, Ros Gomesall, who mm-hmm. is our on on set makeup artist yes. for Frankenstein's Creature, and is a, a fantastic talent in her own right. Absolutely um, incredible and a joy to work with. Like Ros is a genius in her own right, but obviously you did the initial designs. Like- yeah. So to be honest, with because of budgetary restrictions. Uh, James had to be a sort of a remix of of pre-existing appliances so mm. we had to use the actual prosthetics themselves were repurposed from other other jobs yes but we were i mean you know we we talked to James about it and what he wanted and and looked at what he'd done for his stage performances of the of the play before it was filmed mm. and he'd always been sort of harking back to that um sort of expressionist era makeups that he's so enamored with and that you know you and i share such a love for and so it was kind of a a a combination of that we wanted the idea of an assembled being but we didn't want to go too far with it so we had uh yeah we had some some appliances to to indicate reattached limbs they're probably a little more uh, a little more tatty than i would design for the creature fresh off the slab but then by the time we're seeing james as the creature he's he's been on his journey Absolutely. I think it's acceptable to believe that he's sort of coming apart a little bit by that point as well. Yeah, that's it. I, I really wanted to do like a faithful adaptation of the play to a certain extent. And I love James's look in the play. And we did our best to hunt down the same kind of costumes that he wore because there's several kind of costume items that um, are removed throughout the, the, the film. So we wanted to kind of match that as much as, as possible. But yeah, that idea of really building on stuff like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and uh, Nosferatu and other elements of kind of German expressionism uh, it was really important because it was an influence on James in the play but German expressionism is kind of where cinematic horror and sci-fi sprung from you know in movies and Frankenstein birthed the modern horror and sci-fi novel so mixing all those elements felt right and, and kind of very cinematic even though we were also using like influences from the dawn of cinema so like the lumiere brothers and george melies where like you know the lumieres would put down a camera and film stuff like a train arriving at the station people leaving the factory and so on uh, whereas melies was on the fantasy side of the spectrum and did lots of in-camera tricks so yeah i i love the way that all of these kind of cinematic elements because i love the makeup on on uh james in frankenstein's creature dan like it is so so simple but it says so much yeah so it, it is actually one of the elements i'm most proud of yeah his look anyway yeah i said i wasn't gonna waffle on and i just waffled on but uh it's kind of relevant in a way because I don't think it would be the same film if James looked like a bunch of handfuls of meat that have been shoved together. I think he's, um, yeah, I think he's beautiful in the film. And I think uh, Frankenstein's creature should be beautiful in a weird way. Characters like a fallen angel and fallen angels are beautiful. So 
Anyway, that's, it, I, I considered putting it in my recommendations, but I, I held back uh, because I assumed we'd, we'd probably end up chatting about it a little bit. Uh, but it's one of the that what you were just saying there. It's one of the reasons I think I like uh, Flesh for Frankenstein so much. Oh, nice! Yeah, the yeah. Idea that he's 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 not this horrible monster to look at, um, but the structure of the story still works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got this beautiful Delisandro instead. And James is a James is a good looking boy. He certainly is. Well, on that revelation, that factual revelation, should we <laughs> move on to recommendations based on the film? And would you like to go first? Yeah, uh, for, uh, my first recommendation is from 1986. It's by Ken Russell. It's gothic. Yeah, nice. That's a good one. Uh, it's on It's on Prime in the UK. There's a Vestron Blu-ray of it out in the States. It's uh, Ken the Devil's Russell, although he's more in sort of Listomania mode. Uh, for this one, hmm. telling the story of the weekend over which Frankenstein was written. And I saw the last 20 minutes of this when I was a child, and it haunted me dramatically, and it took me many, many years to work out what it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting film. It's it's not Ken's absolute best, but it's certainly a good movie. And and, and yeah, I mean, it, it does what it says on the tin. It's ostensibly a, a horror movie telling of the birth of horror literature yeah exactly and yeah some really stunning moments beautiful shots oh lovely lovely dream photography exactly yeah that's exactly what i had in mind yeah lovely recommendation uh, i second that one my first recommendation uh, based on mary shelley's frankenstein is bram stoker's dracula it's a gorgeous glorious francis ford coppola movie with beautiful practical effects and obviously bram stoker's dracula directly led to branner's movie and there are major tonal similarities and weaknesses in a way but dracula is the superior movie so maybe yeah. save it for the second part of a double bill but you should definitely watch both together uh bram stoker's dracula i recommend it dan next from you i'm torn i've got two how mainstream do you want they're both quite mainstream <laughs> i'm going very mainstream in a similar way to bram stoker's dracula with my next recommend so if if you if you if anything you've got on your list sounds like that then don't do that one that makes sense i don't know how to gauge that i'm just gonna <laughs> say from 1985 oh, it's stuart gordon's reanimator oh incredible jesus christ why didn't i do reanimator that is perfect imagine if there's anyone out there who hasn't watched reanimator exactly. imagine the fun they're gonna have with it there were bits of this film mm. where i felt like branner was stealing from reanimator yes the conversation with uh Cleese in the surgery like yeah. lecture hall uh-huh where they're arguing about like basically i don't even remember what they're arguing about because it's just been replaced by the dialogue from reanimator in my head and they're arguing about how long it takes the brain to die and then kenneth branner snaps a pencil that's definitely <laughs> what happens <laughs> yeah for those of you who haven't uh seen reanimator oh my goodness welcome to the party it's incredible yeah um it's got some questionable sexual violence in the third act if you're watching the uncut version which for other reasons you should but sorry about that it's on arrow in the states and yeah it, it's uh it's stuart gordon's best film there you go i feel like it's... we've talked about this recently because didn't we say we were going to do it as an episode recently i'm sure we did. i think we, we yeah now that you're in the states yeah we can do region one releases <laughs> well look we're, we're doing shock mario Bava shock on the next episode so precious arrowheads do watch shock ahead of that because that is a relatively underseen one and it is fucking amazing so um 
yes, watch that before the next episode. But maybe we do Reanimator after that. Yeah, let's yeah, do let's it. Do that. Let's let's finally because we often say, oh yeah, we should do an episode on that, and we never do. So let's actually yeah, it do it this time. It. Yeah. Um, great yes. recommendation, much better than mine, which is Wolf Jack Nicholson's Wolf. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's another 90s take on the Universal Monsters, but this one updates the Wolfman to the modern world with mixed results. But I did used to love this as a kid. Around the same time I was rewatching Frankenstein, I was also super into Jack Nicholson. So yeah, if you like the kind of silly camp of Frankenstein, you will love Jack Nicholson hamming it up in the woods. There is a great indicator Blu-ray. I, I recommend checking out Wolf, Jack Nicholson's Wolf. All right, that's it for recommendations based on the movie. What have you been watching in the past couple of weeks, Dan? Well, I almost didn't include it just because we've um, we've mentioned it so many times on the podcast just in passing. And I think it may have actually just been a recommendation that you had seen recently, maybe three or four months ago. Mm -hmm. But I can't not talk about the transcendent experience that was going to the Prince Charles to a completely sold out screening of 1985's Come and see. Oh my God. Sold out. Wonderful. Sold out, Sam. An absolutely packed cinema. And let me tell you, I have never been to a screening at the Prince Charles or anywhere else where an entirely packed cinema gets up and leaves entirely wordlessly. Yes, I can imagine. That's. I almost thought. <laughs> I thought you were going to say where an entire cinema gets up and leaves halfway through, <laughs> leaving me <laughs> on my own. <laughs> it was yeah, what a treat. By the time I, I ended up hanging out in the foyer for a little bit afterwards with some friends, and by the time people were leaving, there was a little bit of chatter starting outside, but but the actual departure of the screen was something else. Yeah. No, I'll bet. Um, yeah. A real treat. Uh, I was with with three friends, one of whom had seen it before, and two of two of whom had not. And one of the two, uh, <laughs> my friend Louisa, knew what she was in for, sort of vaguely. And Will, who some people might remember from the Candyman episode, uh, was uh, was was less prepared. Although you know they both took it in their stride, both very very strong minded individuals. Mm-hmm. But oh my goodness, especially given current awfulness. What a what a powerful film. Yeah. There's something really special about those screenings at the Prince Charles. I remember I went to see Ivan's Childhood, which oh, was wow. which was downstairs, but wasn't sold out. In fact there are quite a lot of spare seats. And so I was expecting the same thing for Andre Rublev, which is you know, an even harder ask, an even bigger ask, because you know, Ivan's childhood is relatively short and relatively kind of accessible, whereas Andre Rublev is three hours and difficult. But that was sold out and the atmosphere was astonishing. Like you could feel this energy in the room of just a pure love of cinema. Yeah, that was a wonderful experience. So massively recommend going to a rep theatre near you. Obviously, not everyone listening to this can get to the Prince Charles Cinema, but yeah, if you do have a chance to see your favourite film on the big screen, fingers wow. crossed it's sold out because Jesus Christ, what an experience! I, I I mentioned this you know a while back when it was when it was fresh, but my first film at the cinema after lockdown was Alien at the Prince Charles. Oh, nice! 
Yeah, great. And that was that was fantastic. My uh, first recommendation based on the past couple of weeks is a film I will never see on the big screen. It is Tough Guys Don't Dance, written and directed by Norman Mailer, Dan. Wow. Yeah. Tough Guys Don't Dance is an attempt to recreate the noirish dreamscapes of David Lynch, but the end result is a nightmare with the dignity of showgirls. It is truly insane, constantly entertaining, and I was honestly ready to watch it again immediately when the credits rolled. In fact, I did <laughs> start to watch it again immediately. If you type worst line reading ever into YouTube, you get a clip from this film. Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, God is slightly unfair but i can see where they're coming from yeah it, it basically i'm not even going to attempt to say what it's about because you think it's about something then it's something else but then by the time the ending kicks in you're like what what the hell have i been doing for the past couple of hours i really need to go to sleep straight away even though it's three o'clock in the afternoon I need to go to sleep right now so my subconscious can process what the fuck I just experienced. So yeah, if that sounds like a good time to you, Tough Guys Don't Dance. It has some of the most preposterous dialogue I've ever, ever heard. I recommend it. <laughs> um, Sam, haven't you recently been volunteering at the local rep cinema yourself? I have indeed. And I, I watched um, Leave Her to Heaven on the big screen on Sunday, Dan. Oh, wow. Yes, which was an nice. incredible experience and i took jerry sampson who the horror community might know from twitter and from instagram uh jerry's a, a screenwriter and contributes to ghouls magazine and she lives in portland and she'd never seen it before so i'm quite good at matching people with movies so uh, i took her along and yeah she said that her mind had been completely blown by it she loved it she was like how have i never heard of this film how have i never yeah. heard about this character like one of the ultimate women villains that's kind of been lost to time unfortunately but if there's anyone out there who still hasn't watched leave her to heaven it is a masterpiece and it contains as i think i've said before one of the most disturbing scenes i've seen in any film and it's it's a film from 1945 <laughs> it's ahead of its time it's so fucked up. There's one scene in this film where you're like, is this being guest directed by Lars von Trier? Massive recommendation for Leave it to Heaven. But anyway, sorry, Dan, I've just uh, added an extra one in there. No, it's fine. I was going to say maybe in a few years, if the uh, the Labour permit comes through and, you know, you climb the ladder, yes. then you could program uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance at your local rep cinema. There you go. Yes. I mean, hopefully... Have a dream, Sam. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm worried that people would never come back if I did that, but it's worth the risk, I think. What well, you a, do it. What you what do is you establish a like early Sunday morning slot where you play Sam's weird shit. Yeah, th yeah, you go. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's that's the name of the the season. That's the name of the run. Yeah, I like it. Well, what's next from you, Dan? Is there anything that would uh, fit in with Sam's weird shit? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's obscure and it's hard to get. Hey. <laughs> Does that count? Yeah. Uh, it's from 2003. It's a Polish movie. Mm -hmm. uh, the Polish title is Chawar, but uh, it translates as body. Two directors, Tomasz Konecki and Andrzej... Saramanovitz, I think. I'm probably butchering that. I apologise. It's a really funny, non-linear farce 
that definitely has a small debt to Joe Orton's loot. Mm. A um, a man thinks he has killed a man on a train by hitting him in the head with a big bit of luggage and worried about the police coming and investigating him decides that the best thing to do is to hide the body. The body, unbeknownst to him, has died uh, from his illegal embalming business and his housemates have dressed him in a suit for his own funeral because they want him to look nice and then lost him. And you've got a multi-strand, delinear farce that plays out over the length of the movie and it's really really fun excellent yeah sounds cool i've i've never seen it never heard of it so that's a great setup there's a polish dvd and you can buy it online for 30 zloty oh wow it has well, english, it has english subs excellent excellent all right well uh we'll a check a polish friend gave it to us it's very good me and the uh, precious arrowheads will check that out i'm sure my next recommendation is one that i think a lot of the arrowheads would have seen already i know dan you've seen it but i watched bong jun ho's mother this week Ooh. and was absolutely blown away by it it's gorgeously shot beautifully performed it feels like a kind of stunning version of a story you have seen before but then the last half an hour hits and you realize you've been watching something unique and extraordinary for me, it is infinitely better than Parasite, which is uh, the film that a lot of people will probably know better. But this is the one that should have brought Bong Joon-ho into the mainstream. It is perfect on every level. And if there's anyone listening to this who hasn't seen it, prepare yourself for a new favourite movie. The joy I had in that last, you know, 30 to 20 minutes where it's just bam, 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 bam. Ugh. What a delight. What a movie. I recommend you watch Mother. Dan, how do you feel about Mother? I really, really like it. I really like it. I, I can see why Parasite was the one that broke through. Like, you know, Korea's always been, of the of the Asian, uh, like, film sets, it's the one that closest, uh, like, you, it wears the, the colours of uh, Hollywood the most obviously mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, even if it, it if it diverts from it in a lot of ways structurally see i um, don't i don't know about that i feel like mother is like mother and memories of murder which i'll talk about on the next episode because i've i've run out of time uh and recommendations but yeah mother for me feels like a fincher movie i don't know like i i, I like mother i don't the the pace of it the structure of it it, it doesn't I think the, there's two hurdles with Mother. Mm-hmm. Like, when you try and push a film on a foreign audience who haven't already, like, who don't already watch foreign cinema or world cinema, you've only got so many ways in which you can make it difficult for them. And I think that the people that saw Mother and loved it were always going to do that, but they're a comparatively small percentage of the audience. The The mass market could go and see Parasite because it felt like a much more, like, even even more so than David Fincher, it felt like a Hollywood movie aesthetically, and and then it it was able to lure them in and do all the cool genre stuff, all the cool Korean stuff that that we know Bong Joon Ho and, and a lot of his contemporaries can deliver. Whereas I think Mother, for you and me, bread and butter, but for for regular audiences, even in English, that would be a little bit of an ask. And then mm. when you throw subtitles into that mix as well, you're losing a lot of people quickly. We haven't disagreed for a while on this podcast, so it's good that we're having this disagreement because I do, I do beg to <laughs> Keeps differ. Keeps us fresh. <laughs> I do beg to differ. I do. Think it's, I mean, that, it's been like, a long time. 
it's been a long time since I've seen it. Maybe maybe I'll watch it and it'll feel feel much more accessible. But uh, I think it probably will. You know, I think the the one of the things that I think is it's quite prevalent in in good Korean cinema, and obviously mm. all uh, every country has their mediocre filmmakers. But one of the things that seems to be the most more common in in Korean cinema, especially at the moment, is that third act that restructures how you see everything you've been watching for the previous hour. And Mother's a very good example of that. The downside of that is you need to sit through the first hour for it. And and again, I I think that you and I love the journey, but a mainstream audience need a little bit more bombast at the top. Mm, Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to get into it because spoilers, but agree to disagree. And my kind of final point on this is it it puts me more in mind of like Park Chan-wook's stuff, Mother and Memories of Murder to a certain extent, but um, especially Mother. It, It had that kind of old boy ride for me. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, we're both still saying you should watch it, even if we have different yeah. ideas about how accessible it is. Everyone listening to this podcast is ready. Oh, I don't think yeah for mother. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone listening to this podcast would be like, oh, well, no, that's a bit. It's a bit slow and. Foreign. That's a bit much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. I have no extra features. I suspect it's the same for you, Dan. No, I've got nothing. Well, I've got a new TV series. I know how you like when I recommend TV series, Sam, especially when they're very accessible and relatively mainstream. Have you been watching Undone? I have not. Oh, Sam, you should watch Undone. All right. Imagine if Richard Linklater did a reimagining of Slaughterhouse-Five with Dash of Paprika. Oh, yeah. wow. It's, All right. Yeah, it's absolutely lovely. I'm only three episodes in. I'm loving it. <laughs> it's a rotoscoped, animated sci-fi thriller. It starts quite slowly. You don't get the inciting incident until the end of episode two. But the aesthetic, the acting, and the script are all good enough to carry you through that. It's, you know, laugh out loud funny at times. It's got genuine pathos in it. Genuine, like, oh my god. It's got touches of the got touches of the dead zone in it <laughs> it's yeah it's great it's really really good undone sounds like it could be fun to watch so uh yeah yeah they're only they're only only 25 minute episodes great uh it's it's on prime for free if you've got prime so nice. it's yeah it's definitely worth a look awesome um it's got it's digital roto so it feels it's not quite waking life it's more scanner darkly and it's aesthetic and cool. actually some of the some of the characters shifting in scanner darkly feels very present uh in undone cool all right well i will check it out and who knows maybe i'll post something about it on social media look at that seamless transition sam but how would people see that sam well i i guess i should probably tell them that they can (laughs) follow me at sam ashurst on twitter or at sam ashurst 23 on instagram where you will find uh film recommendations and pictures of my puppy uh, I've I've turned into Dan. Yeah, that's that's it from me on social media. Dan, how about you? I'm at Thirteen Finger FX mm-hmm. on both of the two platforms that I have anything to do with. That's uh, Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> um, I don't think I've posted anything on Instagram in over a month, <laughs> but but I will try to remedy that. I occasionally get um occasionally get people following me anyway, which is very gratifying. I'll try and do better, people. I'm sorry. Uh, Twitter-wise, it's mostly just sort of like having a a, a little view into the drain at the back of my brain. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, say our goodbyes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. And <laughs> oh, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank We're you. out. I'm done. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.